Good morning. Three minutes after 8 o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. ISIS says it beheads another American journalist. Vladimir Putin says he could take Kiev in two weeks. Occupy organizers say we failed and they appear to back away from civil disobedience. Some people who are pragmatic may, may think that uh, it is pointless to occupy when Beijing has already made its decision. That's Occupy organizer Chen Kinman. His co-organizer Benny Tai says the occupation will be smaller now and will be held when it causes the least disruption. In markets, U.S. bond yields were up sharply, gold was down sharply, and oil fell to $100 a barrel. Volatility may be back. Well, I do think that the euro is likely to, to drift lower. Uh, I think in particular, if there were to be quantitative easing, that would probably push down more significantly on the euro. But maybe the surprise we should all have is it, ha- it hasn't weakened more already. That's Jeffrey or Richard Jeffrey of Casanova Capital on the notion that the Fed is winding down QE and the ECB may be ramping up or preparing to. Why, why should I be sorry? I ran, I ran a company. We gave mortgages to, um, to minorities. Okay, so we got a little ahead of ourselves there. That uh, actually was a Bloomberg reporter who caught up with former Countrywide Chief Angelo Mozillo, and he says there's no remorse. He's an investor, and he still believes in real estate. This guy who's associated with the biggest collapse in American real estate ever is a real estate believer. He talked about the tide going in, and now the tide comes out again. Yeah, that's him saying that Angelo Mazzillo is still quite bullish on property. Well, in business news, Apple says there was no breach in iCloud. Home Depot says that it might have a possible hack. And Baidu rallies the most in a month on some new products in the marketplace. Some of our guests this morning in our featured segments will have a little bit more on Occupy Central. Alex Frangos of the Wall Street Journal will be here. So will Alan Lee of Pamfleet on office and retail real estate in Hong Kong. And Stuart Aldcroft of City. Uh, securities and fund services will be joining us for a look at markets. The Nikkei is up 129 points in early trade. That's three quarters of 1%. So pretty good move there. Elsewhere in Australia, the ASX 200 is down 11 points and Seoul is flat. The euro now 131 against the dollar, continuing its weak uh, stance against the dollar. The dollar now 105.22 Japanese yen. Well, let's get a little bit now more from Occupy organizer Chen Kinman. Some people who are pragmatic may, may think that uh, it is pointless to occupy when Beijing has already made its decision. But in the past few days, we also received many email letters telling us that they will join our movement because now they, they found that the reform is hopeless. And they are very angry about uh, the decision made by Beijing. And look at what happened to the group of scholars. Uh, they, they once make very moderate, reasonable proposal to Beijing, but they were all rejected. And so uh, even scholars like them have mentioned to me that they will join the Occupy action when it happens. So the Occupy organizers are saying that uh, it may be smaller now when they call the disobedience campaign and it may be held at a day that uh, is uh, or has less impact uh, on business in Central. So we'll be taking a look at that story, obviously, uh, all throughout the program. In U.S. economic news, the ISM manufacturing index unexpectedly rose to 59. That was the highest level since 2011 in the early part of that year. The forecast was for 57. On Wall Street, 
Street, the S&P 500 down a point at 2002. The Dow was down 30 at 17,067. As we mentioned, Treasuries were uh, down, and that pushed up yields. The yield on the 10-year rose 8 basis points to 2.42%. Back to Richard Jeffrey from Casanova Capital. He thinks bonds don't offer value here. I think the risk-reward is very definitely against bond investment. You're seeing exceptionally low yields. Uh, I think you have to take a very negative view uh, about growth uh, and maybe a very optimistic view about uh, continuation of low inflation if you think that uh, bond yields are going to give you a real return over over a 10-year period, and I think it's unlikely. And he thinks that central banks may be becoming a little bit worried. I think central bankers are becoming increasingly worried uh, about what is going on in bond markets because the problem is that when they do turn, um, when there is a a negative reaction, there will be no buyers and there will be a a real liquidity crisis within within that market. So the emperor has no clothes. We've said this for a long time that bonds don't offer value and yields have come down further. It doesn't mean to say that they did offer value. They just offer less value now and that is a problem ahead, I think. In some other news, Apple has denied that its online systems had been breached. It deepens the mystery of how the private photos actually leaked onto the Internet. Apple said certain celebrity accounts were compromised by a very targeted attack on usernames, passwords and security questions. And the extremist, uh, the extremist group ISIS has posted a video purporting to show the beheading of American journalist Stephen Sotloff. It brings calls for the United States to more forcefully confront the militants in both Iraq and Syria. And just uh, one other quick comment here before we get to our our guest this morning on the program. I mentioned earlier, teased, that Bloomberg reporter Max Abelson actually caught up with the former Countrywide host, Angelo Mosillo, and he said that Mr. Mosillo wasn't remorseful, and he's actually pretty positive. I don't think I've ever spoken to a banker or a trader who is so insistent that the narrative of, of Wall Street villainy is, is not only wrong, but it's like morally unfair. He was incredibly, um, almost eloquent in his long, long defense. No one's really heard from him in quite some time, several years, and he just really poured forth um, this fury that he's been turned into a villain. Let's say good morning to Stuart Aldcroft, our first guest this morning, this morning Senior Advisor at City Securities and Fund Services. Can't get out of my own way. Help me. Hi, good morning, Stuart. Brian. Good morning. Yeah, you yeah. need to get the teeth in the right order. Whoa. It's just been a, a tough, busy morning. Um, really a lot in the news today, both business and and uh, in terms of, um, you know, the political news. Yeah, uh, it's not good, is it? It's not really a great uh, environment, yet the markets continue to churn. We have seen a little bit more volatility here now with oil dropping. Gold fell. I didn't mention gold was down another $20 an ounce at $1,266.60. So a big move down for gold and oil. And why does that happen at a time when there seems to be a lot of geopolitical risk? Well, it's a good question. Um, gold, I think, has lost its favor, except in China, where China seems to be holding a lot more gold than anywhere else in the world. And the rest of the world has given up on, on gold. Um, but China's holding it for some other reasons than just purely an investment purpose. Um, oil, well, you know, I think that's going to come bouncing back if we do see some Middle East problems. But uh, I think equity markets remain very positive. Uh, They are ignoring much of the world's uh, geopolitical problems uh, and probably on the basis that they aren't actually occurring in, in the major equity markets themselves. So they're moving ahead. 
markets like the US, which, um, well, you know, I've been very bullish about that for quite a while. Uh, Europe now looks as though it's going ahead very quickly. Although the currency, the euro is going down and will probably continue to go down. Um, there are uh, very widespread talks of quantitative easing in Europe and that has tended to be rather bullish as far as stock markets are concerned. Yes, let's explain that a little bit to people. You know, when you print a lot of money, which is essentially what quantitative easing is, there's no certainty that Europe will do it, but it has been talked about a lot. Uh, you actually tend to debase or devalue your currency. So at least that's the kind of idea that people would sell down the euro. Uh, the United States is getting towards the end of quantitative easing, so perhaps the dollar goes up, so oil and gold, which are priced in dollars, goes down. But it seems like kind of a good story, um, as you say, for equities, because companies' costs are a little bit lower if oil is down, and interest rates are very, very low. Companies are not spending a lot of money on their employees. That's unfortunate for the employees, but good for the employers. So looks like it continues, right? Yeah, there's more money sloshed around the system generally. Um, you know, I think that, uh, well, yes, it's true that employees are generally not benefiting as much as they, they might think they should be, but it's not as if they're that short either in many instances. Um, and there is a lot more spending that's going on and inventories are, are, are coming down and that will probably mean a degree of inventory restocking in, in, in a few months' time, possibly in the run-up to Christmas, maybe after that as well. But I, I think what I what I'm seeing in the markets is a much more positive feel. People have realised that uh, the next move on interest rates is not going to be downwards. It's not even going to be sideways. It probably will be up. So the vast amount of money that's been going into fixed income, bonds and, and, and that sort of thing is more likely to move now into equities where there is the potential of slightly better returns. Now, I think we need to be very careful and say we're not going to be seeing big double-digit returns, but we might get up to 10 or, or even 12% in, in the next uh, 6 to 12 months. I got a little discombobulated earlier because uh, one of the um, quotes that I planned to run uh, we didn't have, and uh, it threw me off a little bit, but it was uh, tending to be about uh, uh, that there could be some more volatility coming back into markets now um, with this change in, uh, in the standard of central banks and uh, also with bonds. Um, you know, for the most part of late, bonds have raced up and yields have gone down. And some people are beginning to worry about what happens when interest rates finally do start to move higher. Are you in that camp? No. <laughs> um, I think that if we do see a change in interest rates, it won't be dramatic. And, and and I think that's the key point. You know, if you, if, you, if you have a change of interest rates that goes up by 1%, 2%, especially from these almost zero levels, then that becomes a bit of a shock. I, I think the move upwards might only be a quarter or a half of 1%, uh, maybe for, before the end of the year, uh, but certainly in the next 12 months. And that's not really enough to make a serious impact other than to show that there is a change in direction. I think the companies won't be badly affected. They will still see opportunity to invest. So, so you think for a lot of people in Hong Kong who've bought a lot of bonds, um, you know, it's just been one 
perceived safer play over the past uh, four or five years since, yes. the, since the crash. You, you think they're okay, or do you think that they should be? Because it's a little bit diff- difficult to reconcile if you're positive on bonds and positive on stocks. It doesn't always work out in the, you know, with the same story. No, it, they can be quite opposite with each other many times. Um, I think it's a good time to take some profit uh, out of bonds. If you've been in bonds for a long time, you'll be making pretty good profit. It's a good time to be taking some profit. Um, whether you go into the U.S. market, which is at or near its all-time peak, uh, or Europe, which is going upwards, uh, hasn't reached new peaks yet, but is, is looking for it pretty positive, or indeed in parts of Asia, which is a, a market that hasn't done so well, but is looking as though it will do a lot better. You know, those are the choices that are available to many investors these days. And just as a lead-in to Alex Frangos, who will be with us uh, next, uh, next guest on the program, uh, it looks like the civil disobedience campaign is is starting to uh, pull back a little bit uh, based upon the strength of the decision by the NPC Standing Committee and the comments from uh, Lee Fei when he was here over the past few days. Um, is that a good thing for Hong Kong? Um or is it bad that, <laughs> no. the, that the ruling was so harsh from Beijing? I think there was, was no leeway given in the ruling. Uh, um, uh, you know, the, the politics of all of this are probably something that we don't really need to get into because it's going to be uh, not, not necessarily good. Um, from, a, from a financial perspective, uh, I don't think that uh, what we're seeing at the moment is going to make too much difference unless... Beijing decides that it's going to crack down on Hong Kong as a result of, you know, some civil disobedience going beyond just simply sitting in the street and blocking cars. Um, Most of the taxi drivers and the bus drivers and especially the tycoon movers are pretty much better than that, than, than, than the Occupy Central people would have believed. So I don't think we're going to see too much change in the financial scene and in any event it is not in Beijing's interests because many China companies are here anyway to, to crack down too heavily on, on, on Hong Kong in the financial areas. Let's say good morning to Alex Frangos, Asia editor for Heard on the Street, the Wall Street Journal. Alex, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's a difficult one, um, really, at the moment. Uh, you know, the Occupy organizers want to keep the momentum up, uh, but they are realistic people, and they, in their comments, I think you can glean that they're starting to back away a little bit now. Um, do you think that that continues to pull back, or it gathers steam in a sense that people show anger to uh, Beijing's decision? Uh, I mean, I think it's really hard to predict, and, and this is a story that you know I think some of the leaders of Occupy have said is going to go on for, uh, you know, this is a ten-year story. Story or a 15-year story. Um, so, in the, in the short term, it, you know, it is hard to predict. I mean, the the comments coming out of the last, you know, the last day from the leadership are, you know, sound very, uh, you know, very conflicted, and um, you know that they're not happy about it backing down, but they clearly are backing down. I mean, having a having a march on a public holiday, um, you know, that is designed not to disrupt uh, sounds very different from what they had talked about earlier. Uh, so I think the landscape clearly has changed. A lot of differences with the decision-making on Beijing's part from 2003, when the large numbers in the streets did force it to act, and act in a way that maybe surprised some people. Um, um, C.H. Tong ended up stepping down. We got a new chief executive. That didn't happen this time. 
Why do you think? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, 11 years later and, and <clears throat> things are very different in Beijing. I mean, China, uh, arguably, you know, while Hong Kong is still very important, maybe China doesn't need Hong Kong quite as much. Maybe the leadership in Beijing, especially Xi Jinping, is much more, um, uh, you know, has a much firmer grip on power and um, wants to assert it and uh, feels like this was a moment uh, to do that. And uh, he didn't back down. Is this a much tougher regime now with um, the president and the premier? I mean, it appears that way. I mean, from, you know, I, I don't have direct knowledge of, of these things, but from um, from all the reports, um, you know, that we read about civil society in China and, and crackdowns on um, uh, on corruption and uh, political rivals and um, uh, human rights and all these things, these are, you know, the, 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 the folks in power are, uh, are seem very determined to uh, exercise it. We haven't seen a big impact on, on markets here and on business, uh, even the threat of civil disobedience. So if indeed they are pulling back a little bit, um, will there not be the flip side of that, any sort of big positive? Because maybe it will be less dramatic than what was thought. Well, I mean, I think I think markets did did rise a little bit yesterday when, when uh, folks realized that the – you know, protests weren't going to, uh, you know, amass, amass right away. Um, you know, markets tend to be pretty sanguine about this sort of thing. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago that, that down in Thailand, that, you know, the stock exchange literally burned down. Uh, but, you know, the stock market, I think, st- still was up that year and, and, and uh, is one of the best performing this year, despite having a coup. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's really it's hard to say that investors, um, you know, see a, a one to one connection between, uh, you know, lots of people on the street and corporate profits or, um, you know, whether bankers can, you know, easily uh, navigate uh, central Hong Kong to get to work and, you know, whether whether stocks or bonds are going up or down. It's I, I don't think it's as as direct as people think. Think it is. What do you think is actually driving business and markets at the moment the most? Uh, well, I mean that's a pretty broad question. Um, uh, well, you know, of- here in here in Hong Kong, um, you know, we had massive fund uh, flows coming in, and it did seem to really uh, drive the stock market higher. And if you note, the property market has turned around. I mean, people were talking rather gloomily about it the past six months, but all of a sudden we've had a had a pickup. Um, yeah, know. I think that's it's uh, that could be a false dawn. I mean, we were talking earlier about interest rates and, uh, you know, Hong Kong uh, is, uh, you know, right, right at the um, – <clears throat> You know, sits right at the center of that debate because as interest rates rise in the U.S., you know, Hong Kong is going to get it. And um, uh, what we've seen over the last year is that interest rates surprisingly came down, even though people expected them to go up. Uh, But, you know, the U.S. economy is really doing quite well. Um, We had the, you know, uh, ISM numbers last night that were, you know, as high as they've been since, you know, before the financial crisis or right, just, I guess, right after the financial crisis. But there hasn't really been a time in history when the economy has been at that level and interest rates have been this low. So something probably has to give. And for anyone who's taken out a high bore mortgage or um, any uh, real estate developers who have uh, borrowed money very cheaply and are going to have to refinance, that's going to, you know, really hit them. Stuart, you're not too worried. Um, I, and I think also to add to that, if you look what happened with the American housing market last year, it really started to stumble once um, 
you know, once they started talking about tapering. So the second half of last year, as interest rates started to move up market rates, the market really came down. The Fed's very well aware of that. And so there is this idea that they'll be very gradual, and you buy into that. I I do, as far as the U.S. is concerned. I think in Hong Kong, we have a slightly different position where we have a market that is, uh, by most counts, pretty much overbought. Uh, but we have a, a also a, a, a big hinterland where the purchases are coming from. But uh, is that going to continue? Uh, is there going to be a reason to stop that happening? Those are the quick key questions that uh, probably need to be asked. We have to follow U.S. interest rates. So if they move slowly and we move slowly, then perhaps the impact's not so big? Absolutely. And, and that certainly is, is, is a most likely prospect. Uh, I think we've heard how many different warnings from the financial secretary about property prices and not to get overbought this, uh, this time. But I think he's not talking to the right audience. The right audience is probably that one that is north of the border right now. Alex, um, you know, have you, as, as you have covered um, the protests here and the ruling by the NPC Standing Committee, uh, what are some of the things that stand out the most for you that, um, that you think is quite instructive to perhaps a global audience about China? Well, I, mean, I think, uh, you know, I think the lesson seems to be how, how much the relationship with Hong Kong has changed um, from 10 years ago when, when the people, like you said before, were, you know, went out on the street and were basically able to, to change their, their leadership through, um, through uh, street marches. And uh, this time is totally different. And that raises a whole host of questions about, you know, what is Hong Kong and, and how is it positioned for, uh, you know, as a global financial center. It really is one of, I think, three cities in the world, in addition to New York and London, where, uh, you know, capital comes, you know, freely uh, in and out and where people speak English and where uh, a tremendous amount of business is done. uh, And, you know, that's predicated on a long history of, uh, um, you know, legal rights and free media. And uh, so that's the big question. Um, Do people, you know, do people think that some of the core values in Hong Kong are sinking? uh, Thus, um, they're not as likely to to uh, set up business here. Well, I think it's a real tension. I mean, that's that's a possibility in one view of things, and the other view is China's so big and so powerful that people are going to have to play here no matter what. Uh, I think it's it's yet to be seen how, yeah, how that's going to play out. And I agree with that because, of course, Hong Kong is always the gateway to China in and the gateway of China out. Okay. And continues to be. All right, uh, gents, thank you very much. Um, Stuart Aldcroft from City and Alex Frangos there from The Wall Street Journal. The time is 25 minutes after 8 o'clock. Nice to have you with us here on the program. Uh, The booming office market in Hong Kong doesn't seem to be showing much of a sign of cooling down. We have Alan Lee, Managing Director of Pamfleet Limited, and my colleague Chris Oliver joins us in the studios. Alan, good morning. Yeah, I mean, have we seen a little bit of a change just here in the last um, uh, month or so, or did, did office sort of stay strong? Um, I think generally the office market has, has always been strong. Um, that's mainly due to the, sh- uh, the sh- uh, short supply um, and strong demand. Um, not, I don't think the um, the political in- environment in Hong Kong has really affected too much of um, corporates looking for space in Hong Kong. I do still think that there are strong demand from uh, large MNC co- um, companies as well as small, uh, medium-sized enterprises. 
did, did some of those fund flows that um, charged into Hong Kong go into uh, office and retail property? I don't think this time around. You know, obviously, since the um, the government put in the, um, the the measures to calm down the property market, I think this time around, many of the um, um, funds has been coming from um, mainland um, or uh, speculative in investment in the residential sector, rather than too much of the. Um, um, the, 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 the commercial market. So w- one of the drivers recently has been uh, mainland companies setting up in Hong Kong, taking up office space. Are you concerned at all that that could actually slow down, given that China seems to be a little bit r- sh- shaky at the moment? Um, not, not necessary. You know, you have to bear in mind that these setups, um, in terms of their size, in terms of their, their requirements, are mainly in the, um, the CBD, or in terms of size, they're looking at probably three to 6,000 square feet, or, or, you know, in general, less than 10,000 square feet um, in terms of office space. I think uh, this will likely to continue uh, despite the slowdown in China. Um, and, in fact, this is actually very positive for the, um, the, 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 um, the Hong Kong office market. And you oversee a fund that invests in buildings in Hong Kong. Where are you seeing value at the moment, at least when it comes to the office market? Well, I think we, as always, we, we're, we're a value-add fund. So what we do is we, we tend to buy underperforming buildings and um, turn them around, reposition them to add value. Um, we don't um, tend to be looking in uh, the core market or shiny buildings. So, so for us, the, um, the, um, the, the secondary or the sub-markets is where our focus is. For example, in Kowloon East or Kowloon West, uh, or if, it, if it's on the island, you know, I, uh, Island East. And when it comes to the retail sector, uh, luxury goods and whatnot, we all see the changes going on in Hong Kong streets. Sometimes there's uh, a, a new watch shop growing, uh, springing up on a corner. How do you see that changing? Is there sort of a consumer shift going on which is changing the retail landscape? Um, absolutely. I think um, for the high-end retail, is we are seeing a, a, a massive shift in terms of um, you know retailers um, are not hitting their uh, profit target or turnover targets. I think one thing for, we need to bear in mind with retail is um, it's not so much where the vacancy rate is in the in the market, but how many vacant shops that you actually see on on the high street, uh, in particular in the prime retail areas. Um, in in the recent months, uh, this is uh, very apparent. Uh, and given that leases in, sh- in Hong Kong are very short, uh, this can. Um, change very dramatically in, in, in the next couple of months if things don't really change. Yeah, well, what's the reason that uh, you think there's so many vacant spaces at the moment? Uh, it's affordability. You know, if you look at retailers, they, they, they have a limit of what, what rents they can pay. Uh, and, and, and it all depends on the different type of retailers and what, what they're selling, whether it's noodles or, or, or um, gold watches or ju- uh, jewelers. Um, I think the, 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 the point is here, uh, landlords are simply asking too much for what they can afford. So you've got a slight uh, downgrade in luxury because uh, fewer mainlanders are coming here and the economy is actually growing more slowly now than it was uh, in the past couple of years. Um, do you think that landlords are still, once they have a tenant, you know, somebody who runs a small restaurant leave, they're holding out for you know, luxury to come back or maybe a luxury retailer will move in and they can get higher prices? Uh, yes, I think majority of the landlords uh, in these prime shopping areas are are, are waiting and hoping that um, the high end retailers will come back and pay for the high rent rental. But I think in, in reality, retail isn't really just simply high end. 
um, it's, it's all about, you know, um, it can be a necessity. Hong Kong, okay. everywhere is retail. And if anywhere on the ground floor is, is kind of uh, full of retail shops. So we have to look at it on a bigger scale than just high-end retail. Alan, thank you very much for joining us on Money for Nothing. Out of time now at 8.30, Alan Lee, Managing Director, Pam Fleet Limited. Many thanks to my colleague, Chris Oliver. Should mention also that with that problem on the MTR, the Transport Department is saying that it has received notification from the MTR that on the Quintong line, the service delays are running 15 to 20 minutes longer than usual, so you have to allow some extra time there, and it's both bounds on the Quintong line. Money for Nothing at 8.30. Briefly in the weather today, mainly fine, very hot. No mention of showers, very hot again. 33 degrees as the maximum. Turning cloudier gradually with a few showers the latter part of the week. Coming up next, Back Chat on Radio 3. News with Samantha Butler. A video has been released on the internet purporting to show the beheading of the U.S. journalist Stephen Sotloff by Islamic State militants. In the video, the militants warn governments to end their alliance against Islamic State. Mr. Sotloff was abducted in Syria last year. The BBC's Gordon Carrera reports. The two-and-a-half-minute video is entitled A Second Message to America. It begins with a clip of President Obama before cutting to a scene in the desert with Stephen Sotloff and a masked man who seems to have the same southern English accent as the one who appeared in the James Foley video. Stephen Sotloff's fate is the same as that of James Foley. The apparent killer 